And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the border. All right, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are still, I hope, listening to Civic Cipher. And we appreciate that. We got more to cover. Uh, a lot to stick around for. We are going to be talking about an interesting poll that showed that Trump voters say racism against white people, white Americans is a bigger problem than racism against black Americans. Um, and we're going to have to dissect that. There's some numbers, some math, some data. So stick with us, but uh, definitely something we have to talk about. We're also going to uh, spend a little time discussing a very, very special woman, uh, Freddie Washington. She's an actress who has um, long passed away, but uh, she's one of the early black actresses. And we're going to kind of detail her path in the uh, film industry. But first and foremost, we are going to discuss B.A., B.A., becoming a better ally. Bye bye. And uh, we do have a little bit of audio video for you because this one is kind of cool, but I'll read. Uh, by the way, today's uh, is sponsored by Unknown Union, the fashion house situated at the intersection of meaning, innovation and culture. For more info, check unknownunion.com. All right. What you're about to hear is Jesse Waters' mother. She's a Democrat who called into his first show in Tucker Carlson's time slot on Fox News and tried to set him up with some guidance live on the air. Let's play the video. We have a very special guest on the line, a Democrat, my mom. Mom, hello how have there, you? Jesse. Hello there, mom. <laughs> how have you um, enjoyed the show so far? I have enjoyed the show. I want to say congratulations, Honey Bun. We are so proud of you and your accomplishments, you. and you've worked so hard. Now let's aim to have you keep your job. Ooh. And <laughs> to that end, I do have some suggestions. Come on. Okay. Do not tumble into any conspiracy rabbit hole. We do not want to lose you, and we want no lawsuits. Okay. Okay. In keeping, I I have a list here. In keeping with the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. We need you to be kind and respectful. You yourself mentioned that humble is a stretch, so I I get that. (laughs) Use your voice responsibly to promote conversation that maintains a narrative thread. There there really has been enough Biden bashing, and the laptop <laughs> is old. Perhaps you could suggest that your people take less interest, for example, in other people's bodies, and talk about that. All right. So, that was masterful. Mother's voice and words. And hopefully her son does better than Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson did in that time slot, really driving a wedge in between all of us in this country. Moving on, um, let's talk about this poll. All right. Um, You know it's coming, so I'm going to read the headline and we'll get to it. Yahoo uh, News is where this is coming from. Uh, The headline reads, poll, Trump voters say racism against white Americans is a bigger problem than racism against black Americans. The polling follows the dismissal of a lawsuit put forth by the survivors of the Tulsa race massacre, which many saw as a potential blueprint for reparation efforts. 
As public support for reparations for African Americans remains stubbornly low, a New York News slash YouGov poll reveals one major roadblock. Donald Trump voters believe that racism against white Americans has become a bigger problem than racism against black Americans. I'm going to read a little bit of these numbers just so we can get started. The survey of 1,638 U.S. adults, which was conducted from July 13th through 17th, shows that among 2020 Trump voters, 62% say that racism against black Americans is a problem today, while 73% say that racism against white Americans is a problem. All right. There's more, but we got to take a pregnant pause right here. Let's break this down. Um, now, I, I need to be fair. And I need to, unfortunately, approach this as though it may have... <laughs> I can't even say it. It's hard to say it. In case you were going to say you have to approach it like it may have some merit, let me do you one better. <laughs> approach it as if you were completely ignorant to either side of the argument. That's that's what I'm trying to say. That is a much better that's, approach. That's, thank you, Q. That was, Not to be as intelligent as you are and pretend <laughs> that it has some merit. Because <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. It's like, oh God. Okay. And yes, that was me live reading Ramses's mind. I don't know if you guys caught <laughs> that. That was perfect. Excellent. But I just want y'all to see, you know what I'm saying? But it's because of y'all. <laughs> All right. So um, if I don't know any better and uh, I'm reading this, then I might say, oh, no, what is the source of this problem? This is a new phenomenon. Um, where is this coming from? How do we fix it? How do we address it, et cetera, right? You know, not strictly speaking a scientific method, but somewhat scientific in nature. Let's identify the root cause and determine what we can do about it. Okay, so let's let's start there. Now, if I have access to a decent amount of knowledge, uh, political, interpersonal, social, et cetera, knowledge um, as a citizen in this country, what I would deduce is that white people, in particular white men, um, feel like they are under attack because a lot of the things that white men would typically do and no one would bat an eye are now under attack. We learned this during the Me Too movement when a lot of executives and heroes and this and that, white and otherwise um had to come to terms with the fact that our sisters were redefining what they would accept in a professional uh environment and we all had to listen to that and we all had to learn from that and not even just men women had to learn that too right we all had to learn um but in my estimation, the biggest pushback came from people who were thoroughly accustomed to moving and maneuvering in a space like that, um, unencumbered by external influence, regulations, public scrutiny, etc. So there's one way. Um, the fact that there are, have been, at least historically, um, 
offsets introduced into society to bring about some sort of balance to outcomes in hiring practices, in educational opportunities, et cetera, um, to make sure that we have enough women, because women were the, the largest beneficiaries of affirmative action. Um, and we have enough people from all races. Put a pin in that women, yeah. women being the largest benefactor of affirmative action. Put a pin in that for me, please. Gotcha. Um, but white men felt like it came at their expense. There was a sense of entitlement there. You're taking it from me specifically or my type of person and giving it to whoever else, right? Um, it, it shows kind of how the, the thinking may be for a, a white man who is straight, uh, healthy, Christian, um, and American, right? There's an assumption that your path is going to look a certain way and it will be unencumbered by those type of um, setbacks and roadblocks. Now, if you felt that way in the past and you're reconciling all of these movements, Black Lives Matter, you know, the police never bother me. If you just do what the police say, then they won't bother you. Um, you know, uh, not all men are like that, you know, and, and then they don't seek to change the culture themselves. They're just like, well, listen, that's not my problem. You know, the, the whole it's not my problem sort of a thing. Right. Um, and then when they look at when the solutions are coming about, hey, 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 those solutions might affect me. Right. Then they start to develop an alternative narrative, which people like Tucker Carlson can feed into for profit uh, that suggests that they are now being discriminated against coming when, after you. when the truth is we've probably pushed a, a modicum of distance further toward a fairer society, but the backlash has manifested in poll numbers like these, which suggests that, again, these Trump voters um, feel like discrimination and racism against white people is a bigger problem than it ever has been, and indeed a bigger problem than the uh, discrimination against black people. So if I'm looking at this as objectively as I possibly can, there is the, the, the shred of <laughs> I got to be careful how I say this. Uh, that is as much. Um, it's hard to dignify a statement like this. It's it's very hard to do it, but I have to because we are professionals, and you know the the, the version of me that goes home at night and lives at home and I realizes that this is nonsense. I don't mind saying that on the air, but the version of me that is here has to be willing to have a conversation and articulate his viewpoints. The issue with said conversations, however, is at some point in every conversation, both parties have to agree on what facts are. Yeah. And then if you can't, then there's no point in having the, the conversation. conversation. Yeah. Well, what we do here oftentimes for the benefit of all of you, our listeners, is we try to have conversations and assume what the other side is feeling, thinking, saying 
and the source of their issue, major malfunction, gripe, you know, whatever. And we are not anything other than what we are. We are two black men. We are in our early 40s. We started this show in our late 30s. We grew up in, you know, he was from Detroit. Uh, I'm from Compton, California, and we both lived many years in Phoenix, Arizona, which is a very red state that happened to get their act together in the past election. But it's still very red out here. All the power is concentrated in you know, the deeply red, deeply conservative um, uh, facets of society out here. And so this is something that we deal with. So we have a, a pretty fair to form experience of what black life in America is. We do not profess to be white men or know what life is like for them, but we do talk with white men. We just don't have back and forth conversation. We don't tongue wrestle with anybody in this space. We, we do our best to broadcast the balance. If you need all that nonsense, there's plenty of channels that'll give it to you. We learned that in 2020. Um, but where we are now is again, right here. I'm going to read a little bit more just because we still have a little bit more to flesh out. Um, okay. Asked how much of a problem racism currently is just 19% of Trump voters describe racism against black Americans as a big problem. Twice as many say racism against white Americans is a big problem. So what you're having here is an, is like a paradigm shift, a mental paradigm shift for these Trump voters. And again, this isn't everybody. This is just Trump voters. But for them to say, or 19% of them, to say racism against Black Americans is a big problem, to me that suggests that there's 81% that don't feel that way. Okay? Um, that's a, it's a huge number. 81% don't feel like racism against Black Americans is a big problem. But 37% saying racism against white Americans is a big problem. That, to me, suggests that something we've talked about on the show, the media has managed to do the bidding of our political and corporate overlords, which, whilst lining their pockets using the fabric of the American dream promised to what is very often these straight, Christian, white, healthy males. And stealing the opportunities to gain wealth and hoarding it for themselves and on and on, again, using the media to shift the narrative away from corporate greed to Hey, you know us, them black people. You know us, them Mexican people. Others. others. <clears throat> Excuse me, others. It could be Jewish. It could be whoever. Anybody that's not us is taking your opportunities from you, right? And Don't mind that as you struggled to pay your mortgage last month, I got record profits. I not only did my company do record profits, but I also awarded myself a very healthy bonus. Ooh Ignore that completely. Your neighbor who lives next door to you is really the reason why things have been so difficult for you. Listen, this is the reason why we can't get these guns and these mass shootings to stop. There's so much power. There's so much money in politics. I'm sure you know that this is kind of the same old song. It's always been this way long before we're born. 
and I hope it won't be this way after we're gone, mm. but it is certainly the truth now. But the fact is, is that, how about this? Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post, right? We know this. And, and, and he's not the only one. There's, there's, you know, there's a lot of influence there. Um, Rupert Murdoch owns Fox News, you know, and these people are invested in more than just one thing. You can't be invested in just one thing and be a billionaire. Well, I guess you can, but most folks are not. They're very much diversified and they have a lot of interests. And in order to have that sort of runaway wealth, they also need political influence. You not only need an excellent business strategy, but you need political influence to pave the way for unfettered capitalism in your in your specific instance. And effectively, what you end up doing is robbing the middle class of America for that money and stomping on poor people. Right. And trust me when I say there's a lot of poor white people in this country, and a lot of them are women. And it ain't that many black people in them trailers, there's, you know. There's a lot of poor white Republicans oh, we. that help uphold this. Uphold this system that continues to oppress them. So watch this. I want to read it again. Asked how much of a problem racism it currently is. Just 19% of Trump voters describe racism against black Americans as a big problem. Twice as many say racism against white people is a big problem. The media has successfully sold a narrative. It's a hook, line, and sinker. Racism against me is a big problem. And what do you think that means? That's why I can't do this. That's why I can't do that. Nobody likes white people and, and all the opportunities are going to China and the Mexicans are coming across the border, stealing our cherry picking jobs. And, you know, you, you get it. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to make a caricature out of this imaginary individual. You, you heard my voice just now. Um, I realize that there are some people behind this and there are some smart people who, who might be able to dress this up and make it sound a little bit more intellectual. Well, it's not might. We know that they can. Yeah. They've yeah. convinced tens of millions yeah. of people. We don't that think it's true. Yeah, we don't think these all of those are people aren't dumb. This is, and that's why I was saying it's a human condition. It is a human. People are susceptible to these things. And what I try to do and Q tries to do here on the show is remember that these are our brothers and our sisters. They are just lost in the sauce. But the impact of how they feel, how they move throughout society and critically how they vote is a, it affects the lives of us, our children, people that look like us, people that look adjacent to us, et cetera. You know, that's the thing that scares me the most, Ramses, is that they are politically engaged. Mm -hmm. Very, very politically right? engaged. And yeah. they somehow, even with all that they watch happen in front of them, do not feel that the political system has failed them. So they remain engaged. Yeah. So many more people, I think, acknowledge that the propaganda exists and that things are not the way that they are framed when delivered to us, but they are so disenfranchised and repeatedly let down by the political system that they've kind of just checked out. Yeah. They don't participate. Yeah. So these people who are not just intelligent, but more that care more about everyone than just themselves mm -hmm. are also so turned off by what has become of our political infrastructure that they just throw up their hands and don't participate anymore. They're tired of being lied to. They're tired of being taken advantage of. They're tired of not getting the results that are promised during these campaign trails yeah. and they just check out. And that's what scares me the most because the other side, they don't check out. Not at all. 
They are, they are, they're ready right now. <laughs> they're organizing right now. They are prepared to go to the to the polls and they are prepared to go and vote right now. Oh, they're going to upkeep even the systems that oppress them, even the systems that are in direct conflict of their own personal best interest. Yeah. And those that they care about. Yeah. They passionately, fervently, and perpetually uphold these systems at every opportunity. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, a thing that I think helps make your point that I came across the other day. It was like a probably a post I saw on Tumblr or something like that. And it said, uh, I, I, I'm drawing from memory here. So effectually what it, what it communicated was that um, these Trump voters, um, certainly like the deeply conservative uh, far right uh, the, the Trump zealot movement. There you go. Those those individuals, um, they have to believe in conspiracy theories because there's no other way to justify how they keep voting the same way and the reality doesn't change. Mm. So they have they need conspiracy theories to help them feel better. There's got to be something else going on. QAnon, John F. Kennedy Jr. is coming back to life or whatever it is that they believe, you know, um, just like really bizarre stuff. You know, Democrats are drinking baby blood in pizza parlors. You remember that thing was uh, there's lizard yes, people. Unfortunately, I do, because people that I know of sound mind even yeah. bought into that. The, stuff. the lizard like, people, people are, that I know were having <laughs> those conversations out loud. And I'm looking like, dog, it's, it's, it's interesting. And that's me putting you it think very Hillary kind of Clinton did what? <laughs> wow. Okay, let me uh, get back to it. All right, so Trump voters and self-identified Republicans overlapping but not identical cohorts are the only demographic groups identified by Yahoo News and YouGov who are more likely to say that racism against white Americans is a problem than to say the same about racism against black Americans. Majority, 51% of white Americans, for instance, think racism against people who look like them is a problem. But overall, far more, far more white Americans, 72%, say racism against black Americans is a problem. I think I said to you before, Ramses, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people say and think things like that out loud as a reflection of how they do and don't feel about themselves. Yeah. To acknowledge that racism against black people is a problem in a system where you're doing nothing to actively combat it mm -hmm. would be pointing a lens at yourself, yourself yeah. as a co-conspirator to that. So, no, that's not a problem. Yeah. Because I don't want to self-accuse myself of upholding a system. system that is subjugating uh, another group of people. All right, let me read some more. Politics, in other words, is the dividing line here. And the political dynamics go a long way toward explaining why reparations for black Americans continue to be so unpopular in the U.S. Um, if you've ever had that conversation, you know, we've had it a couple of times. It is tough. All right. Uh, the new Yahoo News YouGov poll follows the dismissal earlier this month the lawsuit put forth by the three remaining survivors of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre seeking reparations for ongoing harm caused by the racist rampage that destroyed their once thriving majority black community a century ago. The trio of survivors had sued under Oklahoma's public nuisance law, claiming that the ripple effects of the massacre continue to affect the Greenwood community today. Um, I got to leave it right there, but uh, that article goes on to say a little bit more. And obviously, if you don't know about the Tulsa race uh, massacre, um, please check it out and then you'll see why there's it It just sucks for something like this to happen and it just go unanswered you know and you can you can see where the benefit 
of that went and you can see where the the negative consequences of it went and you, you know you can bridge the gap but then there's political opposition because uh you know whatever statue of limit whatever it is that people try to throw in there but wrong is wrong all right it's time for the way black history fact um today's way black history fact is sponsored by underground beach club from the streets to the beach the finest in beachwear visit undergroundbeachclub.com all right she was one of the first light-skinned African-American actresses to break into Hollywood at a time when the movie industry's rules and sensitivities about race were at their most stringent. She found herself stuck in the groove between perceptions of white and black, which eventually cut short a promising career. But not before she made her mark in the 1934 classic Imitation of Life. Freddie Washington. All right. Actress. Frederica Carolyn Washington was born on December 23, 1903 in Savannah, Georgia. Her father, Robert T. Washington, was a postal worker, and her mother, Harriet Walker Ward Washington, was a dancer. Both parents were of African-American and European ethnicity. Freddie, born with fair skin, finely textured wavy hair and green eyes, was the eldest of five siblings. All five of us were fair skinned with what would be considered Caucasian features, recalls her younger sister, Isabel, in her biography. Adams Bell. The children were raised by the grandmother, Ella Brown, aka Big Mama. Shout out to Big Mama. There's a lot of Big Mamas out there. One time for Big Mama. Yeah. Freddie's real mother died when she was 11, and her father later remarried, placing her and her sister Isabel in a Catholic convent, St. Elizabeth's in Cornell Heights, Pennsylvania. The institution took in African American and Native American orphans. Washington left when she was 16 and moved to Harlem, New York City to live with her grandmother and aunt. She got a job as a bookkeeper at an African-American record company, Black Swan, where her father worked as a packer. In 1922, she got a part in the all-black Broadway musical Shuffle Along as a chorus dancer. She toured with the trope for years, working with Josephine Baker and Paul Robeson along the way. She made $35 per week, a big wage back then and enough for Freddie to take care of her whole family single-handedly. In 1926, Frederica made her debut as an actress in a leading theater role opposite Robeson in Black Boy. But with a limited number of acting opportunities for Black actresses, she decided to move to Europe, where she worked as part of a ballroom dance trope, touring France, Germany, and England. The young actress returned to the United States in 1928, securing small parts in various stage and screen productions. In 1934, she appeared in her best-known movie role in the Academy Award-nominated adaptation of the Fanny Hearst novel, Imitation of Life. She played the role of Piola, a young African-American woman whose fair complexion and naturally straight hair conceals her biracial ancestry. She attempts to escape society's discrimination by passing for white. Initially, the production ran into trouble with the American film censors who objected to its interracial theme. When the film finally opened on November 26th, Washington was so convincing in the role that some accused her of denying her heritage in real life, a charge she was quick to refute. In imitation of life, I was showing how a girl might feel under the circumstances, but I am not showing how I felt, she told the Chicago Defender in 1935. Shout out to the Chicago Defender as well. Uh, that's a black uh, publication that is very old and very um, important for folks that aren't familiar. As has been the case with many light-skinned African-American actresses throughout history, Washington was often considered too light for Hollywood's few black roles. 
Quote, she couldn't play a colored woman because she was too light. Quote, said her sister Isabel. She goes on to say, people might mistake her for white. As a result, like Lena Horne after her, Washington had to be dipped to wear dark tone makeup for the few black roles that she did get. Such as when she played the part of Undine in the 1933 film Emperor Jones. In fact, throughout her career, Washington turned down a number of chances to pass for a white actress in movie roles and was always vocal about being a proud African-American. Quote, no matter how white I look on the inside, I feel black. Unquote. She proclaimed in 1945. The movie celebrity's African ancestry also classified her unequivocally as black within the traditions of Africa, sorry, of America's notorious one drop rule. The series of laws passed by white racists in the early 20th century, which dictated that any person born with as little as one drop of black blood were legally to be classified as black, thereby restricting their rights as citizens. That being the only reason. That's it. Um, after the imitation of life movie washington's career hit a wall with few opportunities for her in hollywood she decided to quit movies altogether politicized by her experiences she became a writer and civil rights activist she was a founding member of the negro actors guild of america working for better opportunities for african-american actors she was also an active member of the national association for the advancement of colored people Washington later contracted Alzheimer's and eventually died of a stroke on June 28, 1994 in Stamford, Connecticut. She was 90 years old. So, um, I wanted to talk about her because we haven't, for the benefit of our listeners, often been able to articulate, uh, the different experiences that a black person might have in this country. And there is a type of black person. Um, more often they are biracial, but in nearly every instance, they are very, very fair skinned, uh, but black culturally and, you know, otherwise black. Um, and they find themselves trapped between two worlds. Yeah. And it's those people that, affirm who they are uh you know it, it, it might be possible for a person you know to use a metaphor play the game on easy mode um she she showed that she could have she could have exactly and opted not to another person i want to mention right here um for this one thing is michael jackson when i was growing up michael jackson story that came to me was that michael jackson uh, ended up with a skin disease that caused him to have patches on his skin, white patches, whereas melanin wasn't produced. And it's called vitiligo. And he had to, in order to achieve it, even skin tone, he had to bleach all of his skin to, to where it would all match. Um, and the rest of his time in the limelight, he consistently affirmed that he was a proud black man. Prince is another one, very fair skinned black man who never walked the line not one bit and it, they were and they were so famous that racial ambiguity wouldn't have even been necessary right but neither was reaffirming that they were black right but they made sure and they stood on it and they fought for it and they showed up and it, it is a beautiful thing and you know as as we continue to you know do more shows we'll be able to 
give you all insight into maybe more of what these other types of experiences are. But for now, um, you know, Freddie Washington certainly serves as a as an excellent aperture into what life is like and how you can even be an example of ebony excellence. And so we'll leave that one right there. I'd like to thank everybody for once again, tuning into Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. We are eternally grateful for everybody that listens, downloads, refers, likes, comments, shares. We appreciate you guys. We need you guys. We, you know, again, Ramses has said this before. This is a nonprofit endeavor for us. So your support is the reason that we're able to continue to do the show. Indeed. Um, do us a favor. Tap in with us on our social media and our website. It's all at Civic Cipher. You can also send over any topics uh, you want us to cover, uh, any questions you might have. Uh, you can also donate through the website um, and download this in any previous episode. Um, they're all up for you. If you want to catch up, if you're new to the show, anything like that, we'd love for you to tap in. Um, and you can follow me at Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. And until next week, y'all, peace. Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.